What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler. Visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. I'm joined today by Ben Solak. And Solak, this is the most wonderful weekend of the entire football calendar. The I entire bad wildcard weekend games, I was just thinking about you and the divisional round Warren Sharp appreciation that was coming down the mountain. You, you knew it was coming before I even said it. We're on the same wavelength here because not only did we get our two number one seeds, One that is very publicly heralded in terms of the Green Bay Packers now rejoining the flock. And another one that really is getting brushed by in a lot of the futures markets. And people have not thought that this team was really the the number one seed. I think some people are still like, whoa, Tennessee is really the number one seed. Yep, yep, they are. And they're rejoining us as well. Um, and and you have all those teams that advance from the wild card round, some pretty easily, uh, most pretty easily, in fact. And we've got all these heavyweights going this week. But of course, I think the matchups, Ben, are just so compelling. There's so many great games this weekend. I don't, I can't think of one of these games. I'm just like, ah, yeah, it looks like an easy game for this team or for that team. I just cannot wait for these games. How are you feeling overall from an emotional perspective? Is this weekend going to be the best of the football calendar? I think yes, especially because Bill's Chiefs got baked into this weekend just by how this the seeding came out, right? I think if you had gotten like Bill's Chiefs and then like 
Packers versus honestly like the winner of Bucks Rams in conference weekend, it would have been like, all right, this is pretty sick. But that is only two games, right? And so if you do get a stinker and you get a clunker, that's 50% of the slate gone. Divisional round, you kind of uh, you know, you diversify the portfolio a little bit. You get a clunker, you still feel like three of the four are gonna come through. And we've got nice rematches. Packers Niners is fun, Rams Bucks is fun, Bills Chiefs is fun. And then we have Titans uh, Bengals, which is just like a. It, uh, I'll I'll tell you now, the game that I'm having the most difficulty anticipating is that one. Obviously, like not a rematch, two such completely different styles. Like that game is also fun because it's two teams we never thought would be here and and play very different styles of game. So it's fun. We get like classic, 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 and then there's like huge question mark as well. It is a huge question mark, and that's where we're going to start with this discussion. And the fun part about this game, uh, Solak, to me at least, I guess it's not that fun, but the interesting co- point to make about this game is that this weekend, I have an, a metric that's called early down success rate. It basically is, is a metric that I compute on my own. It's not simply how successful are you on the first two downs, but it looks more so at bypassing third down, skipping third downs and how often you're able to execute that. And from an offensive perspective, we have the top six offenses in early down success rate playing this weekend. The Chiefs, the Bills, the Rams, the Bucks, the Packers, and the Niners, those literally are your six most efficient teams in early down success rate offense. The only two that aren't are the Titans and the Bengals, and they're playing one another in the first game of the weekend. So, Ben, I ask you this. What do you think is one of the biggest factors that's going to determine the outcome of this game? Well, I like trench play is always kind of the cheap uh, answer, especially when you're a football guy and especially when the Bengals are involved. Uh, but this Titans defensive front uh, has been how they've won like the games that have surprised us, how their defense has been so consistent, has been their ability to rush with four. Right, we talked about this with the Raiders, and and I talked about how if there was a way the Raiders were going to cover, and 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 I, I kind of liked them at the number of six last week. Uh, it was going to be because that defensive front had the ability to take over the game against the Bengals, and you really saw that uh, down the stretch of that game. Right, the Bengals did a, a I thought an admirable job neutralizing Max Crosby, and still he had like impact plays on third down. Right, they did better than I anticipated, and still that's what ended up mattering for uh, for the Raiders in terms of keeping that game close and then having the opportunity to win it late. Now you come to Tennessee. Edge, not as good. Interior, really good, right? Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry have been how they've won on that defensive front. The interior pressure and then being able to run stunts, run loops with a guy like Harold Landry is a really, really good uh, guy on those stunts, a guy who loops through and, and he's slippery, he's quick, and he's explosive and he can finish. This is, again, not a good matchup for the Bengals. And it's a little bit, Frustrating because at this point in the playoffs, however far the Bengals go, every week's going to be a bad matchup for this offensive line. Like every week you're going to have, if you want to fade the Bengals, a good basis to have it because they're going to continue to face defensive lines that just simply outpunch their their offensive line's ability. So it feels a little bit cheap. But even beyond that, like the fact that the Titans consistently rush with four and get home with four allows them to play with seven. Unlike this Raiders team, which kind of just like, sits in cover three and lets you take what you want. Like we saw Burrow just consistently get to the right spot over and over and over again from the pocket last week. This Titans defense throws the kitchen sink at you. They give you a lot of looks. 
They have very versatile secondary. Kevin Byard, Amani Hooker, safety out of Oregon or out of Iowa, excuse me, is a good player. Christian Fulton on the outside. They have they have a, a a zone cover back end. David Long at linebacker that can do a lot of different things. That makes the 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 margins for Burrow thinner, right? The whole Bengals model has been like Joe Burrow's going to make us right all of the time. We just trust this guy to just run the offense post snap. He's always going to be correct. This Titans team disguises way, 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 way more other side of the spectrum relative to the Raiders. So, yes, you still got the pass rush. And now I think you have a secondary that's going to make Burrow hold the ball for that extra half tick, going to be able to take away the first read a little bit more consistently, force hesitation a little bit more consistently. And to me, this starts to become, you know, just how much can this Bengals offense overcome? How, 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 how thin of margins can they exist on? And so I faded the Bengals last week. Rich Bisaccia kind of screwed me with the end of game management. Whatever, different conversation. Um, I'm at the position where I'm fading them again. I think the Titans defensively are too much for the Bengals. They're a physical team that, that handles them up front, right? So that trench battle is always going to be what matters whenever we have a game that involves Cincinnati. Yeah, and at this time of the year, what are two things that you must, absolutely must check every single time that you're going to place a bet? You need to check the weather. You need to check the injury report. And we are looking at a Bengals line. You're talking about the trench battle. We are looking at Bengals that just lost Larry Ogunjobi and just lost Mike Daniels. And I think Trey Hendrickson, the good news is for them that he practiced uh, yesterday in limited capacity after getting his concussion. So he's probably going to be back as the likely expectation. The other two guys are not going to be back. And what's interesting, Ben, when I am looking at, so the Titans aren't like most of these other teams. They're not like any other team, in fact, in the rest of the playoffs. There's such a unique one of one that's left, which is like this old school team that doesn't necessarily care that they're not quite as efficient on early downs. They're more like a, instead of like, um, a bird of prey that's just going to like overwhelm you and swoop down and just like create havoc for you. This is a team that's more like a constrictor. They're like the snake. It's just going to slowly kind of constrict you with that line play. And one interesting element here is I looked at the Cincinnati Bengals and if you look at the Cincinnati Bengals, you look at their defense. Okay. The way to attack this defense is pretty clear. Um, they rank a ninth, worst against the pass, but they're 11th best against the run. So you think that you would want to probably pass the ball against these guys. But then when you go and actually look at the games that they've played, and I'm going to, for this example, for this argument, I'm going to remove the Baltimore Ravens games because the Baltimore Ravens had the 11th most efficient rushing attack, but that literally was just Lamar Jackson, right? Because all their running backs were just this mismatch of all these injured guys that kept rotating through. They really didn't have great running backs, a great run offense. There was more like Lamar go do something, create something, turn pass plays into run gains and a little bit of designed QB runs, stuff that most other teams don't do. So let's remove those. I know that's kind of cheating, but let's just remove them. And look at the rest of the teams that the Cincinnati Bengals played this year that ranked top 15 in rushing efficiency. I'm going to go down the list. It's the Green Bay Packers. It's the New York Jets, surprisingly. It's the Cleveland Browns the first time around. It's the game against the Chargers. It's the game against the Niners. It's the game against the Chiefs in Week 17. And it's the last game of the season against the Cleveland Browns again. Now, if you want to throw that loss out to the Cleveland Browns at the end of the season, fine, you should. They won one of those six games. It was the game against the Kansas City Chiefs that they were down by two touchdowns 
for much of that game that I feel like they got pretty lucky to come back and actually win that game and a bunch of calls to go their way, et cetera, et cetera. This team has struggled tremendously to beat teams that are competent running the football. So what do you think the game plan will be for the Tennessee Titans on offense when they have the football? Is it more of the same, but now mixing in Derrick Henry finally? And we should also note that it has been a very few snaps that we have seen both A.J. Brown and Julio Jones and Derrick Henry on the field together for the Tennessee Titans this year. But when those guys are all on the field, this passing game basically shifts from like 5.2 yards per attempt up to like 10 yards per pass attempt when all those guys are out on the field together. So they are going to be a much more dangerous passing offense. How do you see this Bengals defense holding up without a couple key starters to what the Titans are going to be able to do here, knowing that they've struggled to beat teams that can run the football. Yeah, so we have, uh, in terms of like the injury news, uh, you know, we're recording here Wednesday morning. Derrick Henry is he's two weeks into the three-week window to activate Henry. Uh, he was in pads today for, I think, the first time. He had some contact for the first time, and they feel good about how his foot is reacting. I would say it's less than 100% that he plays, but I would, I would guess it's about 50, right? I mean, it's playoff time. You know what I mean? If they're close, they're going to, they're, they're, they're going to put him out there even if he's late at less than 100%. So let's say we're getting Henry, Brown, and Julio. Uh, you brought up the good point, right? Like, this is not the sort of a team that's going to attack you from the jump. They are confident and comfortable playing themselves into some more, some third and longs, more third and longs than the average team would. And that's because uh, Tannehill is a monster. Uh, he loves third and long. Couldn't tell you why. Just goes to a different level in terms of his gameplay. Loves to hang in the pocket. Loves to take the hit, make the tough throw on third and long. And they have all these really big bodies. A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, Nick Westbrook-Akina at receiver, where they say, all right, if we get into third and seven, we're going to run him on a breaker. We're going to run him up the seam, and we're just going to put the ball on him. And if he's covered, he's covered. But we think that we can win that catch point enough. We can win that contested catch enough that we can keep the sticks moving. It's not my favorite way to move football. Uh, and I've I've not been a huge fan of the Titans' general offensive structure all year and their offensive success, obviously, with the injuries as well, but it's the way, it's the way they do it. You look at Cincinnati as a team that when they get heavy formations, when they get condensed formations, they're going to load the box, right? And they, they want to play with Von, Mel, Von Bell and Jesse Bates on the field at the same time. But if you go condensed and you go heavy against them, which how the Titans run, they'll put Von Bell in the box and they'll put Jesse Bates as the deep middle safety. Firstly, uh, A.J. Brown's going to eat over the middle of the field. I, I like Jesse Bates. I think Jesse Bates is a good player. Jesse Bates doesn't love contact. This is the wrong team against which to not love contact. Because if you're going to load the box and you're going to get linebackers low, right? you're going to bring them close to the line of scrimmage, we're going to throw that intermediate hole. And the idea is that your deep safety is going to punish that guy coming in the middle of the field. But if it's A.J. Brown running middle of the field and it's Jesse Bates doing the punishing... That's not going to work because A.J. Brown's much bigger than Jesse Bates and is much more physical than Jesse Bates. The other thing is that the Bengals are really bad in explosive run rate allowed. They're, I think, at like 12%. I think at their bottom eight in the league in terms of explosive run rate allowed. That's because we talked about this a little bit off air when we were talking about the Bills-Patriots game. When you're fitting at a single high, right? When you're fitting the run at a single high and that run gets to the third level, there's one dude. It's Bates versus Henry. And Bates does not like contact. And Bates does not like <laughs> tackling in this con- in this context, right? And you've seen this with Nick Chubb a lot, right? When 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 the when the Browns have played the Bengals over the course of a couple of years, is that they'll they'll stop Nick Chubb for three, stop Nick Chubb for two, stop Nick Chubb for four, and then all of a sudden Nick Chubb will get to the third level, 
And that doesn't become like an eight-yard run or a 10-yard run. That becomes like a 15-yard or a 20-yard run. And it's because at Bates is a really good center fielder. He is awesome to have when you're facing an offense like spreads it out, tries to throw outside the numbers. Against this Titans offense, which just wants to hammer you physically up the middle of the field, that's not the sort of construct that you want. Throw in the fact that you've got defensive line injuries now as well. It's going to be a little bit easier to rip up, get to those backers, get to the third level. Uh, it feels like for the Titans, it's going to be that game where it's it's just like two-yard gain, three-yard gain, two-yard gain, three-yard gain, 50-yard gain. Like They're just going to hit explosive after explosive. And so you're, you're a little bit worried about that if you're Tennessee just because you're giving the ball back really quickly and this might become a shootout. That's not what you're built to win. You'd like to be able to grind it out a little bit better. But it feels like even if the Titans fall behind early, they can still stay in their run script and they can rip off some big ones. Okay, so some chunk gains. You can always bet over on longest rushing attempt for some of these guys um, as we get closer. Before I ask you bet and props ideas for this game, I do want to get to the other side of the ball briefly. Um, in, in like 60 seconds, can you tell me what you think of the matchup when Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon are on offense against this Titans defense that is surprisingly well-rounded and has gotten better than what we were expecting them to be when they entered the season. How do you think that the Bengals offense will fare here? Yeah. And, and it's very accurate. Like I was, I got into several arguments with Titan fans over the summer. Like guys, this defense is not going to be good. Like I know it feels that way, but, and honestly, I was like, it's because you paid too much money to Bud Dupree and they did. And he's <laughs> not that good. Just all the other stuff. Um, right. So like, you know, a guy like uh, uh, Jeffrey Simmons so greatly deserves all pro recognition that he didn't receive. Danico Autry, David Long's been really good for them. They are a, 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 a little bit of a no-name defense, but these guys can legit play. Uh, like I said, it's a very variable defense. They move dudes around a lot. They change the picture post-snap for you a lot. Burrow has had decent success against those looks, but he hasn't had the same success as he does against like more static defenses. We also know that Burrow's numbers when pressured with four are really, really bad, right? He's a good pocket manager, but there's only so much you can do. Uh, I think that you're going to get, you know, some nice, I like, you know, Tyler Boyd because Elijah Molden in the slot is a guy you can pick on a little bit. They've kind of, you know, phased him out for Buster Screen when they can recently. But in general, like you'll get your Tyler Boyds. You'll probably get your quick game, I think, decently well because they'll give you some cushion. But I don't think you'll see as many explosives and I think you'll see more mistakes. You'll see more uh, misread plays where, where Burrow and his receiver aren't on the same page. You'll see the, the interception, right? Especially if they're trying to drive the ball outside. That arm can die a little bit for Burrow. Uh, so I don't think you're going to see as clean of a game. If they could sit and run it and, and, and establish that, like that would be nice. I just think that they tried to be that team in the second half of the season and very quickly discovered that they can't. Uh, so it's, it's a difficult recourse to rely on. You got to, you got to, dance with the one who brought you and that's burrow operating out of empty so i think that's going to be your best bet and you just hope that this guy is everything you you build him as right as this this peyton manning like ability to just dice up defenses because this is a tough defense to dice up but if he's that guy he's that guy yeah it sounds like a lot's going to fall onto his shoulder so side total right now this game sits at titans minus three and a half has been bet up there's a couple fours in the marketplace open actually at two and a half Soft two and a half on Sunday night when some of these lines first started to open up. Most books then opened at three after some of those two and a halves were bet up to three at the initial books that opened. And now we're getting it up to three and a half. Ben, that's a very juicy number to come in and take if you are backing the Bengals. A lot of people just like the dark horse, Joe Burrow, I want to bet on this guy. And it's going to be very easy to be attracted to that three and a half. The total sits at 47. Side total 
as well as any prop ideas. I know the player prop market is not set yet, but our, I'm all in all four of these games, since we're not going to talk to you on the Ringer Gambling Show before kickoff for any of these games, I want you to give the listeners any ideas for players that you might be targeting here from a prop perspective. Yeah, so I like the Titans. I took them uh, when I think it was at three. Uh, and to me, that's that's appropriate. I expect them to to get the juice they continue to go. I know it got up to four last night. I think I bet down a little bit. I'd expect to close around, like, uh, not close. I think it'll probably hang around four. And then before kickoff, there'll be a lot of movement on, on the Bengals would probably be my guess. So maybe if you like the Titans, you wait and see if you can get a little bit of a better line. Um, but to me, this is a Titans position where they're super good physically. They're super good in the trenches. It's just not a good matchup for Cincinnati. Uh, and I've fate and I've, I've faded the Bengals a lot this year. So I know that might sound like a, a common refrain, but I've also faded the Titans a lot this year. So I'm going to be right either way. Uh, and in this instance, I, I I do like the Titans a little bit better. I will say also, I saw this floating around. Vrabel is eight and zero straight up and against the spread with eight plus days of rest as the head coach of the Titans. Uh, I think I think I saw uh, Eric Eager at PFF retweet that. And only two of those games are the Jaguars. Other six are like actual opponents too. Uh, and so I think that you get that extra bye week, especially with, with how ba- banged up this team is. Uh, I like the Titans to cover. Total to me feels appropriate, especially because uh, I don't I don't want to have a big piece of this total because I could see game script getting to a position where the Titans get really, really run heavy. Uh, and that's going to worry me if I'm trying to get to the over. So I'm, I'm nowhere right now in the total. Prop-wise, Bengals are a tough team to figure out because it's always like kind of take what the defense gives you. You know, you you start to think that Jamar Chase is the favorite target, and then all of a sudden T. Higgins is like 14 targets. You know what I mean? Um, CJ Ozoma j- tends to get underpriced, in my opinion. He's had uh, at least six targets in five of the last six games. Uh, and they like using him because they get a lot of attention on those receivers. Tight end gets a little bit of space over the middle in the quick game. So if you like Ozoma, you, get, you can usually get like three and a half receptions. That feels pretty good for playoff time just because they're going to pass it a lot. Um, but in general, Bengals uh, props are, are tough to figure out because it's so much of a take with the defense gives you approach. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Okay, the next game up on deck is the Green Bay Packers hosting the San Francisco 49ers. This line opened with the Green Bay Packers. In some spots laying five and a half, others laying four and a half. Has now been bet up to the Green Bay Packers laying six points. This total hasn't really shown hardly any movement. It opened at 47. Some spots were 47 and a half. I saw a little upward movement. I saw a couple 48s pop on occasion. It's back down to 47 and a half pretty much across the board. So the total of this game has not moved very much. This is a rematch game, um, as are all of these games, actually, from very early in the season, except for that Bengals game, which we already discussed. The next three games, either it was week three or it was week five. But you can go back and watch when these two teams met one another. In this one, it was week three. In the Rams-Bucks, it was week three. In the Bills-Chiefs, it was week five. So go back and rewatch those games if you want to. Uh, but Ben, if you went back and watched rewatched this game, which I'm sure that you did at this point in the week, what was one of the bigger takeaways that you had from what you saw in the first meeting when these two teams played? Uh, the 49ers offense is just functionally different. It's not. It's just not the same, right? It, it. It. They were a lot more spread, and they were a lot more quick game. 
uh, like you know, there, there was um, I saw I saw it floating around. I'm trying to find it right now. There was like a a, a big Twitter thread of all the differences. Uh, you had you had um, uh, Elijah Mitchell didn't play in week three. Debo Samuel had zero rushing yards. Uh, then on the defense, uh, Juwan Jennings didn't play a snap. Defensively, they had three snaps for Arden Key. Uh, they had Diamondor Lenore and Josh Norman at corner. Right, like this, the Niners team is just completely different. Also, lest we forget. Niners were up by one with 38 seconds left or whatever it was. Could have been less than 38 seconds. If we did a little clock management, that's a different conversation. Um, but structurally, you see that it's different, right? They went and they they wanted to take one of their, their deep shots, right? One of their play action shots. And that was the incredible Jair Alexander uh, interception, right? Where he came over the top and he kind of like center fielded that. That ball, he fell out of quarters. The ludicrous catch. And after that, the Niners were like, all right, quick game. You know, we're, we're stopping everything. We're not trying to push the ball deep with Jimmy anymore. That's really interesting because uh, beat up thumb, sprained shoulder, two degrees. I don't know how much you want Jimmy throwing the football because uh, he's, from what I understand, he's going to play. Uh, you know, they're, they're practicing them in this week. It's a pain management thing. But Jimmy doesn't have the best grip strength on a good day. When you make it that cold and you hurt his thumb and he doesn't have the best arm strength and you hurt his shoulder as well. Uh, this is going to have to be a situation where the Niners try to live in the quick game again. And that's not what they've wanted to be over the last several weeks because they've gotten this running game working so much better with Elijah Mitchell, with Debo Samuel in the backfield, that they can be a more play action and shot team, play action intermediate team, which is like the ideal form of this Garoppolo offense. You can try to run it that much. And I think that's going to have to be it. Like you have to be really, really, really good in the running game because I'm not sure if you don't have that that you're able to operate in the passing game outside of quick stuff, outside of like underneath Brandon Ayuk and go underneath Juwan Jennings, pick up third and five with a six yard gain. And that's really scary because it means you just got to be perfect for four quarters. And if there's anything we know about Jimmy, it's that he could look perfect for three and a half quarters, but it's coming and it's going to kill you when it comes. Uh, that, that one mistake that you just don't understand how he makes it. Uh, and so it, it is a, uh, it, it is a very interesting blend now where we get the way this Niners offense has changed over the course of the year folded into the limitations Jimmy's going to have coming into this game and trying to riddle out okay like can they be this run to play action pass team that they want to be or does Jimmy just not have enough juice right now in his arm and they have to swing back to what they were in week three which was this like spread out quick game offense very difficult to figure that out yeah one of the interesting things when I went back and and, and looked at some of the data after watching the tape one of the things that stood out to me was on early downs in the first half of this game, the time that they played in week three, the San Francisco 49ers passed the ball 73% of the time. Now that number sounds high, and it is because there has not been another game that they have played where they passed the ball this season, 73% of early downs in the first half. They could not get their run game going in that first half of the game. In fact, in the first half of the game, they were averaging only 2.3 yards per carry and 33% success when they ran it. And I went back and looked at overall, when the Packers ran the ball on first down, they ran it 14 times and they gained only 3.1 yards per carry minus 0.07 EPA per attempt with a 43% success rate. 
when they ran it on second down, which they hardly did at all because they basically came out, we're going to run it a few times on first and up. That's not working. We're just going to have Jimmy G throw it the rest of the time. But when they ran it on second down, plus 0.30 EPA, 100% success, five yards per carry. So I went back and looked at what is Green Bay because we said this is a bad matchup for the Dallas Cowboys. Last week when they played the 49ers, we were dead on with that. And then when they went up, we said, hey, this team could be able to run the football a little bit against this Green Bay front when they go up to Lambeau the next week, on year-to-date average, Green Bay's run defense on first down, not terrible. 4.4 yards per carry, the NFL average is 4.3. Minus 0.05 EPA per attempt, the NFL average is minus 0.04. So they're basically right in line with both of those. They're a little bit higher from a success rate perspective, a little bit worse than average, but not by much. On second down runs, though, 5.2 yards per carry, plus 0.09 EPA per attempt, and 61% success allowed. So the 49ers need to, if they're if they're planning on trying to be a little bit more balanced, they can't just come out on first down and just run the football. They've got to be very creative with how they're doing it. And they've got to stick with that run game a little bit more on second down as well, because on the season, that is when the Green Bay Packers run defense does struggle a lot more. They're actually playing at their best on first down. Let me ask you on the other side of the ball here, one of the things that stood out to me was 18 targets to Devontae Adams. He caught 12 of them. No other yep. receiver had more than three catches. That was MVS. No one else had more than one target besides MVS other than the two running backs. So this was like so much a felt like very schemed up, short targets off to the right side for Devontae Adams, a little bit deeper targets down the left side of the field over the middle, a couple of game-winning drives at the end there. Um, how did the 49ers slow that down? What do the Packers do a little bit differently? Because it doesn't seem like they're going to come out with that same game plan where we're just going to ignore every other receiver besides Devontae Adams, just throw him the ball 18 times. What are you anticipating from the Packers, given the fact that they've had two weeks here to both get healthy and develop a game plan to win this game? Right. You remember uh, when Devontae had those screenshots of how the Ravens played him, right? He, like showed him on the press conference right on his phone. You just got yeah. like there's three dudes on Devontae. Right. So Ravens, man cover. Uh, we can't cover this guy with one. So let's try it with two. Sometimes we can't do it with two. Let's try it with three. The Niners, that pendulum swings all the other way to the other side, right? The Niners, the Niners don't play man against anybody. And it's because they can't, right? I, I, like Emmanuel Mosley coming back is their best outside cover corner. He's been injured for a bit. Like, that helps. Quan Williams is their nickel guy, right? They like when he's there. So they, they played, like, some man against the Cowboys. They immediately got burned on a slot fade. Like, Amari Cooper versus Quan Williams is good versus good. Cooper's still going to win that, right? The Niners just don't have great corner talent. But in general, the Niners this season have said, we're going to play spot drop zone uh, because we have to, right? We just don't have the talent uh, at corner to man up with guys. And I, I have been enamored with this Niners defense because of how well they play zone coverage in the face of the fact like the opposing offense knows that it's coming, right? That's really hard to do. In general, like I don't want to play zone against elite quarterbacks. Ask the Eagles against Tom Brady how that went, right? Like if you have an elite quarterback, they see zone coverage. They've seen it for 10 years in the NFL. They're going to dice it up. But the Niners do it really, really well. They understand how to get into, th into match three, right? They're, they're, they're single, single high stuff. And they understand how to get into match quarters. They're, they're two high stuff. They know what the beaters are in both instances, right? What teams want to run against three, what teams want to run against quarters. And they know how to adjust to those. They have in like guys like Fred Warner and guys like uh, uh, Drake Greenlaw and Al Shahir, the other linebacker, Jakeski Tart and Jimmy Ward, just really, really technically sound cover guys in terms of zone coverage, in terms of vision, eyes of communication. So you play zone, you drop in zone and you say, 
We're going to put a blanket on top. We're going to try to gum up all these intermediate windows. And if you want to throw 18 targets at Devontae Adams, go for it. But we're going to give you an eight odd of like four. And we're going to try to rally up, tackle, and hit. And that's the thing is you, at this point, want to make the cost of throwing to Adams a physical punishment. Like for Every time you throw to Adams, Jakeski Tart's going to come downhill and plaster him. Jimmy Ward's going to come downhill and plaster him. And we want to make it such that by quarter three, quarter four, Devontae doesn't want any more free five-yard slants. This felt fun in quarter one. We were just giving this up. Doesn't feels fun anymore, does it? So you you got to make that a, a punishment. That's what D'Amico Ryans has really brought to this team is they're a really, really physical football team. And so when they play this soft zone early in games, it can look like there's a lot of stuff that's accessible. But then all of a sudden, receivers start to get a little bit squirrely over the middle of the field. And it's because they got hit a lot, right? So you're going to, you, you, you have to understand internally. You have to accept, we really can't man up against Devontae. So we're going to play our zones. We're going to play our staff that we do well. We're going to try to take away, you know, whatever deep post to Alan Lazard. We're going to try to take away, you know, crossers to, to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. We're going to play with eyes on all these screens the Packers run. And you know what? We're going to give up some to Devontae. He gets his against pretty much everybody. But we're going to punish him when he has the football. And we're going to try to win on third downs by, by, by making those hits and making those stops close to the sticks. The issue here is that it doesn't work in the red zone, right? Because... Uh, we play zone in, 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 in tight areas against Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. They're going to score seven. Uh, so you're going to have to get stops in the middle of the field. And you're going to have to generate turnovers. Uh, so when the Packers get down, I expect them to score seven, especially because they probably don't want to rely on Mason Crosby. But that's that's where you are. You are a bad cornerback team. This is what you have to live with. So end of the day, where do you fall side total on this game? Oh, talk to me on, can I come on the Friday show after we know more about Jimmy's health? And then maybe yeah. maybe say uh, where I am now. I uh, the Niners right now. Uh, it opened around six. It got up to about five, and then it came back down to around six. Uh, I think that that's some reaction to the Jimmy news. Nick Bosa obviously didn't practice on Tuesday. I wouldn't be surprised if if he's able to go later in the week, just because I don't. I think I think Nick Bosa is going to play in this game, whether or not he should. Unfortunately, and that's kind of you know a, a thing that we've seen in playoff time, and that's a scary thing. But that's where we are. The injury situation makes it really tough to figure out. I will say the Packers were the team last uh, earlier this year against whom the uh, the Niners pulled out Trey Lance in goal line situations to score touchdowns, right, to run the offense. So they do have packages with Lance that they haven't shown in a while. Uh, given Jimmy's health, I will be very surprised if we don't see random Trey Lance third down and goal line packages. Uh, to me, that's the thing that I expect, which would help them score points. But in general, not knowing where Jimmy's health is, uh, I probably fall on the Green Bay side of six at this time. That could very well change for me uh, relative to what we, we learned about where Jimmy is. But right now, I'd probably fall uh, on the uh, on the Green Bay side of it. Total-wise, if I'm anywhere, I'm under because I think if we get a team in the lead in the, in the second half, both teams are well-equipped to run the football and run the clock. So I, I don't know if I'll take it beforehand, but I wouldn't be surprised like if we get a 24-point uh, first quarter. We're looking at like 23.5 on the live line for the second half. I'll probably buy that under, especially if, we, if we're seeing a, a clear leader throughout the first half game script-wise. Uh, and then props wise, uh, I, I, I have no idea why the Niners didn't use Kittle, right? Who I was very big on last week. I, it, same, it was awesome. Same. He, he was, a, he, he was blocking like crazy. Like he was having a great time out there. They, and also they could have had him whenever they wanted to, but they wanted to live with Debo and Ayuk and, and pick on these corners. Uh, the Niners are such a good, uh, specific fit game plan where they kind of like, like. Uh, rig up a fit for the opponent and for the guys they want to go against that predicting this offense outside of like 
15 Elijah Mitchell carries is tough. So I took the Elijah Mitchell over rushing yards last week. That hit for me. I'll probably take that again. Uh, Trey Sermon was really, really bad in that week three game, and they could not run between the tackles at all. So they weren't able, they weren't able to take uh, the Packers out of bear fronts on early downs, which is what they want to do now with Debo. They, they get outside of those bear fronts. So if you're going to get uh, you know traditional four down front, four down spacing, which the Packers will give you, that's Elijah Mitchell in the B gap till the cows come home. So Mitchell, I know, was like plus money to be like over 80 yards last week. I'll probably hit that again if we get that. Yeah, they were uh, in that week three game. Everything was like outside the the, the short screen game, the pitches, right. and the Packers were just all over that stuff. You're yeah. right; they have to run in between. So the tackles. here's yeah, the cool thing is like if you if you get four down fronts right, and they give you that that gap in the middle, you need like the Niners foundationally should be able to hammer that whenever they want, and they couldn't in that game because just. Shanahan does not trust Trey Sermon and did not like the way he played. With Mitchell, Packers give that to them again. It's Mitchell up the middle for four yards on every first down. Yep. Okay. Um, all right. We got to move on to the next game. This is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hosting the Los Angeles Rams. This is one of the lines that really hasn't done anything this week. Open pretty much two and a half, three, sitting still two and a half, three. Most spots are at three. Some are at a soft three. The total, likewise, has done almost nothing, just like the Packers 49ers total, sitting right at 48 points. Some spots are at 48 and a half, pretty much the same across the board. Now, one of the most interesting things about this game, obviously, Ben, these teams played back in week three. And when I'm looking at trying to understand what a team is going to do and how a game is going to go, Oftentimes, I'm trying to figure out, are they going to be a run-first team, a pass-first team? Are they going to change things up? How are they going to operate here? And then I can start to predict efficiencies and whatnot. And that game obviously stood out as a as, as a unicorn this season for Sean McVay. On first downs in the first half, the Rams passed the ball 79% of their offensive plays in that first half against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They did what a lot of teams did at the time, and that was, we're just going to pass the ball, and we're going to have success throwing the ball. We're not even going to try to run the ball into the teeth of your defense. And obviously, the Rams got the lead and played really well doing that style. But at no point in the season did they come anywhere close to matching that. The closest that they ever came was 67% pass against the 49ers in Week 10. Most of the time, they were way lower in terms of a first down pass rate in the first half of the game. And then you look at the last two games that the Niners, uh, sorry, you look at the last two games that the Rams played, and that was against the Niners and the Arizona Cardinals. And they were down at 18% pass and 29% pass on first downs in the first half of those two games. So Ben, do you think that Sean McVay comes out here and does what he does the last two games, which is a much more run-focused offense on first down? Now that they got Cam Akers back and they got Sony Michelle and they got this run game going, do you think that they come out here and run the ball at a very high rate like they did in week 18 and week 19? Or do they go back to what they did in week three, which is pass the ball 79% of the time? really two opposite sides. And you could obviously say they do something in the middle if you want. Uh, right. So I'll take somewhere in the middle just because it's easy to be in the middle of the polls. But if we're on, if we're, if we're skewing a certain way, uh, I would guess pass heavy. That run heavy script against the Cardinals was fun. Uh, it, it was an, an impressive showing, especially Cam Akers, who's just like not a human. I have no idea how Cam Akers is doing what he's yeah. doing. Yeah. Uh, they were bringing up on the ESPN uh, megacast. It was between the lines at the NFL live crew. You know, Dan Orlovsky was hammering like, where's nine? Where's Isaiah Simmons? Because you want to run at this guy. 
Uh, Simmons just doesn't like to play linebacker, and he plays linebacker in the NFL. Unfortunate. And the Rams, you saw, were just getting on top of Zayvon Collins, on top of Isaiah Simmons, and felt like they could move that defensive front. We saw when the Cardinals lost J.J. Watt this year that the run defense kind of fell down the cliff. Even with Watt back, he clearly was 100%. That was where you could beat him. If we go the same script and we go, all right, who do we want to attack on this defense? It's 45. You want to go after Devin White. Even when Levante David's on the field, Devin White is susceptible. But mostly in the passing game. Mostly in zone coverage. You want to find him dropping and make him wrong. And when you have a receiver like Cooper Cup, it's really easy to do, right? When you have a tight end like Tyler Higby, who very quietly with all this increased running game, Tyler Higby's been on the field more. Tyler Higby's been getting more targets. Uh, we can work this middle of the field now. So if we follow the same script and we say, who, who do we want to take advantage of on this team? It's 45, but it's not in the running game as it was with Simmons. It's in the passing game. Uh, so you want to get to a position where you are going heavy, you know, uh, Higby, uh, maybe put the second tight end on the field, get in the eye formation, you know, put a, tie, a receiver close to the line of scrimmage to get the linebackers on the field, get the uh, bucks somewhere where they're condensed and then pass it. So you want to go heavy to pass. The trade-off here is that when you go heavy to pass, Todd Bowles can put nine dudes in the box and six of those dudes are coming. Five of those dudes are coming. You don't know who. But Stafford has been so, 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 so good against the Blitz this year that you feel confident that, listen, if we get Bowles in a position where he feels like he can and should blitz, we've duped him. We, 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 we have tricked him into being in a spot he doesn't want to be in. And that's the most interesting thing to me. Todd Bowles, it took the whole Chiefs offensive line being injured last year for Todd Bowles to think about not blitzing. I don't know if we get there against the Rams. And if he blitzes Stafford at the clip at which the Cardinals tried to, at the clip at which he blitzed Hurts last week, Rams going to shred him. Uh, so I would go heavy, dare Bowles to blitz. And if, they, if he sends 45, that's fine. We can work somewhere else. If he leaves 45 in coverage, hit him. Okay, so on the other side of the ball, we've got Tom Brady. He needs to attack. And, and by the way, it's going to be interesting to see if they do what you're suggesting and not blitz quite as often because this is... I think the single most, I'm pulling up the data here, but I think the single most blitz-heavy team, yep, by far in the NFL yep. on the season, particularly on these early downs of the first three quarters, they are number one in the NFL uh, in blitz rate. And they get good pressure when they do so. So it's not as if they've been blitzing a lot and not having success with it like the Washington football team did this season. It's a team that blitzes a lot and gets pressure a lot. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. On the other side of the ball, we've got Tom Brady, Needs to have a better game against these guys than he had last go round. You don't have as many weapons though for him, right? A, not a lot of your number two, your number three wide receivers are not there this game. And so you got Mike Evans and you've got Jalen Ramsey defensively. And if you can minimize some of the Mike Evans efficiency here, A, I'm going to ask you, can they minimize the Mike Evans efficiency? And then B, of course, you've got the ultimate threat, uh, Rob Gronkowski, who's going to be able to work in the middle. But how do you foresee the passing attack going for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady? Yeah, so Mike Evans, you can because you have Ramsey, right? And that's the really nice thing is that when you were matching up against Ramsey and Godwin and Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski, it was like, all right, we put Ramsey on somebody relative to what we think we can do elsewhere. Like, who can we possibly take away without him? Lose Godwin. Lose AB, and all of a sudden the Ramsey chess match becomes a lot simpler. He's going to shadow Evans, and that's important because Evans has played a lot more in the slot recently and has been really effective from the slot. Makes sense because you're getting smaller corners in the slot, and Evans is very, very big. Uh, Jalen Ramsey takes some of that away. Evans will get his because playing corner is really difficult and it's hard. Uh, but Ramsey against Evans is a matchup you feel good about. 
Now you're in a position where you got to check your safety health. Jordan Fuller and Taylor Rapp both out for that game against the Cardinals because somebody needs to run with Rob Gronkowski, which, you know, I, I wonder more in the degree to which Gronk is 100% because we've kind of been waiting for like a nuclear Gronk week for a bit here. And we've like kind of gotten there. Like Brady carried him to the incentives right in that final week. You know what I mean? But I don't really think we've gotten that, that dominant Gronk performance we've been hoping for. I wonder if he's not just holding up well across the course of the season. I don't know if he's moving that great. Like that Saints game, he just couldn't separate. So I, I don't want to get too dedicated to this idea that like Gronk is going to be the beneficiary of all these secondary targets. What's really interesting to me is seeing the guys that Brady is targeting, uh, especially like early in the game. And then as the game goes on early, we saw heavy geo, uh, which that was awesome. Money-wise uh, running back, receiving props for the Buccaneers until the cows come home. Uh, Heavy Tyler Johnson, heavy Brashad Perriman. Geo, those targets kind of stayed. They fell down a little bit out of the script, but those stayed. Uh, Perriman and Johnson got doghoused pretty quick uh, in terms of how they were working. So to me, I'm at the position where I'm expecting a continued funnel into running back targets, especially if Fournette's back. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Fournette's available and if Bernard's available, we see like five plus targets for each. Because I think with every passing week, Brady is losing trust in Perriman, who had drops, Losing trust in Tyler Johnson, who had a bad stop against zone. We saw Brady very, very loudly get angry at him on the field. Uh, I don't know if, if there's a receiver besides Evans he trusts. So I think Evans is a target funnel, even with Ramsey. And then I think the backs get even, even higher target volume than they have been. So the Tampa Bay Buccaneers really down the stretch have not played very many competent opponents, especially when you think about the two games against the Panthers, the game against the Jets. Uh, the Eagles clearly overmatched there. Um and you had games against the Falcons and the, the Washington football team and the Giants thrown into the mix as well. Talk to me a little bit about side total. Who do you like in this game from a betting perspective? And is there anybody that you're going to be on from a props perspective? I liked the under in the Rams-Cardinals game. I liked uh, the over in Bucks eagles But we saw again from the Bucks once they got that lead, they started to sit on it. And so I'm looking at a total of 48 and a half points right now. If I can get to 49 and over... Uh, I'll probably buy back and I'll probably take the under because both of these teams in the event that they get positive script, they start sitting pretty quick. Uh, and I and I, I think with McVeigh especially, that's been shown to be opponent agnostic, right? Like it could be any offense on the other side of the field. He really starts to feel late in games against a set. I know against the Cardinals, they kind of still stayed a little bit active, um, but I think defensively they felt so good that they really just weren't worried about anything versus when it's Brady on the other side, I think they'll be a, a lot more likely to try to run that clock and, and try to eat it up. And we've seen them be more effective running the football. We've seen the Bucs still be effective running the football. I want the Tristan Wirfs news uh, with certainty before I take a side here because I really do think he's worth like a point and, and how, especially going up against the Rams and how well Vaughn rushes off that offense's right side in the event that he's out. Uh, Rams plus three to me, I would take minus 15 to like minus 120. Uh, if you can get that field goal, I would say still go for it just because this is going to be a close one. Both teams also like to kick field goals. So I don't think we have, we're going to get like a weird, a weird score. Um, so Rams plus three is, is as far as I would go. Money line wise, ah, maybe if I'm feeling, if I'm feeling frisky on Sunday, but probably I'll just take the spread. Uh, and that's if Worfs is out. Okay. Yeah. That's if Worfs is out because that's a extremely big deal for a Raheem Morris team that's really, really good at causing pressure. We start to, to screw with protection. We force Gronk to stay in and chip. We force the backs, who right, he wants to target the backs, for the backs to stay in and chip a little bit. 
that takes a lot of wind out of Tampa Bay sales. So I like the under uh, right now. And with Worf's out, I, I like the Rams as well. Okay, and we should mention that game last week, the Eagles, Bucks, a lot of wind in that game. Rain in the morning, then a lot of wind. That may have played a factor, and you got to be checking the weather. It looks like the weather is going to be good for this game, Tampa Bay versus the Rams. It also looks like the weather for Green Bay, just to jog back a second. Uh, temps 14 degrees at kickoff, winds 11 miles per hour, gusts up 18 to 20 miles per hour. Doesn't look to be too bad at all for, for those offenses to play um, on Saturday night as well. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Now you go to Kansas City and Buffalo. This is a game I think a lot of people, myself are included, uh, are really looking forward to because you've got Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes. You've got the Bills building towards this game all offseason. This is the only thing they cared about when they met these guys. I was talking on the Monday show. They met these guys week five of the season. They won. They came out really jacked up, energized. They were up by 14 points at halftime. It started to rain in the second half. It rained for a lot of that second half. Um, put a little bit of a damper, made it a little bit more difficult to come back for the Chiefs. But all things said, um, that was a game that the Bills left so much out on the field that like for the next, I would say, month, month and a half, they were almost in like a hangover. They just put so much effort and energy into beating the Chiefs. That was their singular focus all offseason that to accomplish that goal, like it's going to be a little bit of a letdown, anything else that you're, you're doing. But now they've gotten revved back up. And I thought finally for the first time that we saw them play uh, over the last like month, month and a half, they actually looked like in that last game against the Patriots, the 2020 offense. They had the 2020 offense where they were passing the ball on first down almost nonstop until they had a massive lead. They were efficient. They were bypassing third downs. They only had six third downs the entire game. Um, and, and, and they converted all six of those. So let's talk about this game. It's going to be a great battle in Kansas City, which by the way, I was shocked to see this, Ben. Really shocked to see. I don't know what the average weather is in Kansas City in late January, but it does not sound this good. The temperature, this game is supposed to kick off at 630. Temperature is supposed to be 35 degrees at kickoff. It's barely going to get below 32 degrees by the end of this game. And there's only four to six miles per hour wind and four to seven mile per hour gusts, which means there's no gusts at all. The gusts, when the gusts are the same as the wind, it means that there's no gusts at all. We're talking about no wind here and great temperatures, comparatively speaking. What is one of the big things that's going to decide the outcome in this game for you? What 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 do you think is the biggest factor here? Uh, I have no idea what Kansas City does defensively, which I went back and I watched. 
uh, they they did what you do when you're at Steve Spagnuolo defense, right? You live in weird. You you, you live in, in in four down. You live in two backers. You live in sub. Tyron Matthew and and this time they had uh, Daniel Sorensen on the field a lot, which you know separate conversation, uh, right? They had Ben Neiman out there a ton, uh, trying to get to a third and pass, right? Third and six, whatever. And then you come out with the weirdest nonsense in the world, right? You put guys on three dudes on one side of the front, you know, uh, uh, Frank Clark on the other side of the front. You're moving Chris Jones, right? This one, they were still playing Chris Jones at edge for whatever freaking reason. Uh, and you blitz three linebackers, and you drop two dudes, and you're just, just sim pressures out the wazoo, crazy coverage rotations, try to get Josh Allen to freeze, try to confuse him. And if you win that third down, cool. Mahomes getting the ball back. Next time our defense is on the field, we're going to be up by seven. You know, I mean? that's that's the plan. Uh, that didn't work too well. Bill scored 38, I think it was. Uh, and the, the Chiefs have since made massive defensive changes. Chris Jones on the inside. Melvin Ingram's here. Willie Gay's playing linebacker. Sorensen's off the field. Now he's kind of on the field a little bit more. Juan Thornhill's playing safety. Whatever. Structurally, it's still the same defense. And... You can blitz Josh Allen as much as you want. Uh, it's it, you know, passer rating wise, EPA per play wise, it looks good, right? When he's not blitzed, he's amazing. When he is blitzed, sometimes bad stuff happens. So blitz him all you want. You're gonna get some bad plays. Like he'll give you a pick, he'll give you a fumble, and you get a short field. That'll be nice. Mahomes will take that and score seven. He's also gonna kill you. He's gonna rip you to shreds on some of them, right? They're gonna be able to block it up, or he's gonna break the tackle. And now all of a sudden you're playing five on five against a freaking basketball team of a receiving core, and Josh Allen's built like a defensive end. So you you can live, right? We talk about like when you don't have a good option, you can live on high variance and try to just get a couple coin flips to fall your way. That's what Kansas City did early in the year when the defense wasn't working. Now, like, the defense is working, and I still think that's their best chance because they don't have the athletes to spy him. They can try to, like, mush rush, right, and, 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 and make him feel uncomfortable in the pocket, but nobody's actually really rushing him. You're trying to get him to break the pocket, and then you chase him down. But even then, like, Melvin Ingram in a foot race versus Josh Allen? Like, Willie Gay in a foot race versus Josh Josh Allen's winning that. So even if you, like, synthetically get him out of the pocket and you kind of, like, force him into, into a rush, like, you trick him and you get him into a free rusher— Again, like he's, he'll lose a couple, but he's really good. He's going to win a couple. So you're going to, right now at this defensive point, you're playing a regression game. You are trying to uh, throw some throw some, some curveballs, throw some knuckleballs, trying to send some wonky blitzes, get uh, two turnovers out of that, get, get, a, get a two sacks on third down. And if you can just do that, get four drives to end earlier than they should with, you know, deep in, in, in Bill's territory, you're in a better position for your offense to win the oncoming shootout than you would be otherwise. That's the whole defensive answer right now for the Chiefs. And if they can if they can do better than that, kudos to Steve Spagnuolo. Hats off. That's incredible. But the way the Bills offense is playing right now, to me, that's the ceiling. Okay, so you don't think the Chiefs can stand up against these guys up and down the field. You think the Bills are going to have a lot of success. You think the best strategy defensively for the Chiefs is pretty much to try to create as much havoc as you can. You're going to give up plays and points, a lot of them probably, but you're also going to maybe get a couple of balls that are going to set up short fields and keep the Bills from scoring. And then your hope is, it sounds like, then to outscore Buffalo. So what do you think the Kansas City Chiefs do offensively to fare better than they did before? This was one one of the styles of defenses that gave them the trouble back in the early part of the season, this too high stuff, Buffalo plays a ton of it, and it was forcing the Chiefs to attack underneath, run the ball a little bit more, throw the ball short and underneath, and be patient on their drives. And overall, like this offense was actually okay. And in fact, if you go back, remember some of our discussions at the very beginning of the season, 
The Chiefs were fucking incredible on early down efficiency. They were setting all-time records of how good they were. They just had these turnovers that were preventing them from scoring points. Generally speaking, the first like month, six weeks of the season, which is when they played these guys, they were very, very efficient and bypassing third downs a ton. They then went into a lull where they weren't nearly as efficient, but they did reduce the turnovers. And now they kind of come back on the other side. They're playing more efficiently and they're not having as many turnovers. How do you think they attack this Bills defense, which, by the way, is without Tredavious White, who was there the first time that they played him in all the games last year? Right. Running through this film was really fun because it was a reminder of how far the Chiefs have come. Hats off to Andy Reid. Hats off to Eric Bieniemy. Uh, just good coaching work. Just every week, just incrementally. Tried new stuff. Some of it didn't work. Sometimes there are bad weeks, but just kept the ball rolling, kept the machine moving, and eventually got somewhere. Uh, week This is week five. Uh, in that game, the Chiefs had a light box run percentage of 56%. They had nine light box runs. Over half of their runs were into light boxes. They had a success rate of 33%. Against light boxes, that's really bad, man. You can't do that, right? If, 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 if the Bills are going to give you light boxes, and they will, this is what they are structurally, you got you to be able to win against this. They've done a better job incorporating their other tight ends, right? Uh, uh, Noah Gray and then the Oklahoma, Blake Bell, the Oklahoma quarterback is now a tight end incorporating those guys uh obviously their their running back room is kind of this carousel it don't really matter who it is they just got to plug that guy in and he works somehow uh they've done a better job getting a little bit heavy and running behind that so number one bell's gonna give you light boxes if you're you, you got to be able to run at them and it's got to work right otherwise you're never going to be able to pull those safeties down secondly uh bills live in zones right they're gonna play they're gonna play you know, we call cover six, right? Quarter, quarter, half. And they're going to play with a trap corner in one of the flats. And they're, they're going to put a deep half safety over the top. Usually they'll want to do that to the Tyreek Hill side. So this is one of those games where you put Tyreek and Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson and Miko Hartman, whoever you doggone want, on one side of the formation. And you tell them, all right, cloud that side, right? Put that deep half safety over the top, put the cloud corners, trap the flat, whatever. If Because on the other side of that is quarters. And you put Travis Kelsey over there. And you tell Travis Kelsey that for four quarters, he's going to get bullied. It's going to be a fight, and he's going to have to win, right? This is one of those those games where if you can't get Kelsey isolated and winning one-on-ones as like that that flex Y, as when they put him out in the formation, if you can't get him winning there, ugh, it's going to have to become a real heavy gadget game, right? Where it's just like reverses to Michael Hardman, underneath stuff, right? Like tosses to Jarek McKinnon. They ran like no screens in the first game. They're going to run a couple more, I'd guess. But Kelsey has to be money. Uh, intermediate. He's got to be able to win his breaking routes because where if you try to play, you know, whack-a-mole and try to hide Tyreek Hill, they will just put deep half safety on top of him and they'll say, chuck it up here if you want, but we're going to close this window. We have really, really, really good safeties. So if they're playing that and they're giving you quarters to the other side, it's this is what it's been. It was in both games against the Chargers. It was the Giants game. It was everything. If Kelsey gets bullied, we're in trouble. So you got Kelsey's playoff time. This is a match that you have to win. So do you think that Operating offense like that, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be able to outscore the Buffalo Bills. Give me your projection for side and total in this one. The side opened at two, two and a half. It's still right around there, although the halves are disappearing. This line is coming closer. Sharper money is coming in on the Buffalo Bills. There's some more one and a halves in the marketplace. The total opened at 54. There were a couple 53 and a halves out there as well. It's been bet up to 55, and then that's taken some balanced money and has come a little bit under. There are some spots that are back down to 54 and a half as we speak. Uh, if I'm projecting shootout and I can get a team, you know, plus money on the money line, I like that. Especially when, to me, down the stretch, 
Bills offense has been a little bit more reliable, a little bit more consistent, has gotten to their spots in a more predictable way than the Chiefs has. That's just my my feeling on it. Both offensive when they're explosive are incredible. Absolutely, though, what you're worried about is the Bills defense. You and I have talked about this a ton on and off air. Bills defense looks really good on paper because the Bills defense played a lot of really bad offenses on paper. Uh, and, and when you put them up against real good passing attacks, it doesn't really hold up as well, especially without Tredavious White. So I like the Bills. I like the Bills plus money on the money line. You can get like plus 110 right now. That's all nice. But my bigger position is the over, uh, which I would be surprised if either team is below 30, right? Uh, this is going to be one of those games where it looks like it might be low scoring early. There could be a couple punts, a turnover, whatever. And then like the Chiefs against the Steelers in quarter two, eventually dams are going to break. Eventually defensive game plan is going to be figured out. Coaches on the sidelines are going to get to theirs. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we just have like an uproarious second quarter, third quarter. And in the fourth quarter, it becomes like kind of that ball last sort of a situation. Uh, also expect both coaches to be aggressive because they know what's on the line here. They know that this is the toughest opponent they will face in the AFC. So I expect fourth down attempts. Uh, I expect shots to the end zone as well when, 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 you're, when you're in that field goal range. Uh, and to me, that's more points. So I like the over more. Um, but in general, Buffalo is a, is a position where plus money on the line feels nice to me. Yeah, and you 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 hit the nail on the head. We were predicting this all along. We said the Buffalo Bills offense has played no good defenses. They haven't played anybody. The first part of the season was just cake. They're about to go into the stretch where they're going to be playing a lot of tough defenses. And then, boy, oh, boy, did they face almost nothing but tough defenses since week 10 of the season. They were playing top, nonstop top 10 defenses. They stumbled against the Indianapolis Colts in the rain. And since that point in time, I mean, you got the hurricane game, obviously, against the uh, New England Patriots, and you got a game where they fell behind against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're still able to score 27 points in that one and almost came away uh, with the win late uh, on the road in Tampa. They've been playing good defenses and still putting up points. And Kansas City does not rank as a overall good defense. They rank as a below average defense. So this will be a defense that's a little bit different than those that Buffalo has played. But similarly, Buffalo has not played very many good offenses whatsoever. And I mean, that's considering that we would say, if you look at the offenses that the Buffalo Bills have played, okay, the only teams that rank better than 20th, better than 20th on the season, the Patriots three times, I'm talking about from an offensive efficiency perspective, the Patriots three times, and that's a rookie quarterback right. in Matt they didn't Jones. Even, two they of didn't the, even respect that, that offense anyway. And, and two of those games are in Buffalo. So that's a very difficult situation. That's three of the five that you have played, three of the six, rather. You also played the Indianapolis Colts, which was Carson Wentz at quarterback, and the game was also in Buffalo, and it was rainy, and they could just run the ball. So that's not even a were we tested by this passing attack. The only other two teams that you played were the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that's it. Everybody else was below 20th, 20th or worse on, on offensive efficiency. This team just has not been tested. Last thing before I get you out of here, any props you're looking at for this one? Uh, they, Isaiah McKenzie's out snapping Cole Beasley, and they're using McKenzie to replace the running game a little bit, right? They use him on this like gadgety stuff. Uh, so you can get McKenzie receptions over two and a half. I like. Plus money too. And that'll do it. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back on Friday with Joe House. We're going to pick his brain, get some of his bets. I'll share a couple of my own. Thanks to Ben Solak for joining me. Thanks to Mike Wargon and Craig Holbert for producing the show. We will see you guys on Friday. Friday.